All right, I want to tee up a controversial question. Yay. No, it's, it's a joke. Um, best Christmas movie of all time. Best Christmas movie of all time. Go ahead and debate it real quick amongst yourselves. It should come right to the top of your head. I'm sure you've had these conversations. Best Christmas movie of all time. Go ahead and share with somebody around you. You guys are really taking this question to heart. That's good. All right. So first, Home Alone movies. If you're in the Home Alone category, one, two, three, four, up to uh, uh, 20. I don't know. I don't know where they're at with those. All right. Some Home Alone fans. Uh, what about some of like the Christmas classics? Frosty the Snowman um, was one. They just had a few of these on. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Right. Worst production of all time, but still captures our hearts, right? Just, uh, just something sentimental about those movies. Uh, what about The Grinch? Where are The Grinch folks? You got to specify when it comes to The Grinch, right? You got the original Grinch, then you got, and we have this debate in our family, like which one's the best? My wife's like Jim Carrey all the way, like there's no other Grinch, and uh, he brings it home. And now there's a new one, Illumination, um, that our kids really seem to love, and uh, it's another sort of uh, animated version of the Grinch. Um, what about what, some of you? Uh, let's see. What else? So I heard Christmas Carol uh, over here. Okay, um, it's a good one. Uh, anybody? It's a Wonderful Life, but it's a Wonderful Life. Uh, yeah, you guys like to cry, I guess. Um, so that's a good one. Always, always uh, kind of helps rem- you to remember the the meaning of Christmas and what it's all about. Um, somebody yelled out, and we had the whole Die Hard conversation first hour, right? Like, is that a Christmas movie? I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to settle that one for you guys. You can figure that out. What about those of you that are in the Hallmark category, like Hallmark movies? And I just say in Hallmark movies because they're all basically the same. So we just say just all of them fit into Hallmark section, and uh, so that, that's how that goes. But uh, you ever accidentally watched a movie before? You, you know, okay, no? So last Saturday, I, uh, I go and I fix my coffee. I'm going to enjoy just a Saturday at home. A few of my kids are already awake. And uh, so I'm just going to sit here, drink the coffee. And I just like, I'm going to turn on uh, the TV, just have it on in the background, uh, just for some background noise, assuming I need any more background noise in my house, you know? Like, why not? Just turn this movie. And there's like these Samsung channels that we just like have that just pop on right when the TV comes on. So I, was, I didn't even change this. Turned it on, and that, that was on. And there was a Samsung uh, a, a movie, but it happened to be a Hallmark movie. And uh, I'm like, all right, there's a little Christmas movie on, fine. Like, so it was just interesting because like all of a sudden, like, I was accidentally watching it, and I was like slowly getting drawn into like this movie, so much so that it was on in the background to the point of I'm yelling at my kids, be quiet, I'm trying to watch something, and uh, you know, I'm getting on them, and without realizing it, I'm, I'm, in, I'm into this thing now, I'm invested in this thing. I had to see if the astronomer whose life was consumed by her work could let down her guard long enough to find love. I mean, I just, I had to know, and uh even though I already knew, you know, because that's really how Hallmark movies are. And uh, I may have even for a moment felt a slight warm sensation in my chest and had some allergy stuff going on. I don't, I don't know exactly what all that was about. But it's funny because Jess, literally, true story, she walks out 
of the bedroom, and I'm sitting there in the family room, and she looks over at me, she looks at the TV, she looks back at me, back at the TV, and I just, I said to her, I said, I, I don't know, it was just on, and uh, you can change it if you want, and uh, but we ended up us both sitting down and watching the rest of this movie. I'll, I'll hate to spoil it for you, but the girl f- does find love, okay? So that's how, that's really how they all end though, right? That's really how it generally goes. The struggling Christmas fair was saved. The astronomer found her, her uh, just made her discovery and discovered the true meaning of Christmas all at once. Nice, sappy, sweet. Uh, finished conclusion to that. But you know one thing you don't ever, uh, nobody ever says during a Hallmark movie? I didn't see that coming. No, you don't. If you don't see what's coming, like, I feel for you, because it's, it's always, you can kind of just see it, it's right down the line, but that's the whole point, right, because we don't want any plot twists in a Hallmark movie, everything's just supposed to work out the way that it's supposed to work out, happy endings, smiles, all that kind of stuff, and, uh, and that's the way that it goes in Hallmark movies. You know, when you think about the real story of Christmas, it's a lot messier than that. It's a lot, man. I mean, you really look at the Christmas story, when you look at what was historically happening in the, the uh, you know, about to B.C. into A.D. threshold when uh, history itself was really unfolding in such an incredible way, it was messy. And, uh, and there was lots of plot twists. One specific plot twist, and I always think about how incredible this really is, is that you have this king. And he shows up into the world in the last place you would ever expect to find a king. Not in a palace, but in a stinky manger surrounded by barn animals. I mean, that's a plot twist. That's one that none of us saw coming. Especially when you think about this, that this royalty was not just the royal family kind of royalty or the royalty when it comes to a nation kind of a royalty, but all of the universe, king of the entire universe shrinks down in the most humblest of fashions uh, to become a baby in a manger. Philip Yancey wrote this. He wrote that the God who roared, who could order armies and empires like pawns on a chessboard, this God emerged in Palestine as a baby who could not speak or eat solid food, who depended on a teenage couple for food, shelter, and love. Nobody saw that coming. Luke 1 records the moment when history itself shifted, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I mean, imagine the magnitude of, of that statement. He will reign. He shall reign forever. His kingdom will never end. And we see this king in a manger, in a feeding trough, the world's greatest gift in the most unexpected of packages, in the most most unexpected of places, the gift of Jesus. And we've been over the last several weeks talking about this gift of Jesus and the gifts that were brought to Jesus and the Magi brought him gifts of frankincense, a gift to signify his role as our high priest, as the one who heals us at the deepest possible level spiritually and 
beyond. We talked about the gift that was brought to him um, in the gift of myrrh, which was a gift that symbolized his sacrificial death. He was a baby literally born to die, to take our place, to take the death that we deserve so that we could have life. And today we talk about the gift of gold, the gift was fit for a king. So knowing this, and knowing this baby was far from any other baby, a baby born to save the world, a baby born to give his life, and a baby who possesses the throne of the entire universe, the question then is how should we approach such a child? What response fits the king of glory? I just want to spend a few moments talking with you about that today. And the first thing is this. And we sung about it all morning. David and I hadn't planned this out, but this word showed up time and time again throughout the worship this morning, and that is the word adoration. Adoration. I think about when I was over in Europe uh, a couple months ago, and it was uh, really just cool. I, I loved Europe because there's things that are just so old over there, cities that are so old. You're walking on these cobblestone streets. They're just like original streets, and it's just it's nothing compared to what uh, we in such a young country experience this. So that was one of the things I love history and I love walking around. But one of the things that was super cool to me was these magnificent cathedrals and all of these just huge churches. And uh, it, was, it was wild because when I would walk from the streets that were often very busy, a lot going on, into these cathedrals, almost into every single case in these big churches, there was, you'd go from outside to inside and there would just be just complete quiet. I mean, just this sense of, you know, just reverence and sacredness. I mean, people just looking around and looking up at, you know, of course, looking at the magnificent uh, architecture, but I believe there's more than that. I believe that there's something inside of us that just is drawn to kind of the sacred. And these places really represented something uh, beyond us. And it was just incredible that I'm sure there was a lot of people walking through those churches just to see the churches that probably uh, didn't really understand the significance behind them yet. Um, there was just the same reaction, which was this, this sense of just being awestruck. And moment after moment, the reflexive reaction to Jesus in the early Christmas, in the first Christmas story was adoration. We see the Magi, what was their reaction? They heard they saw the star. They'd been preparing for this moment. And when they saw the Christmas star, they traveled over 900 miles to honor him in worship. That's not a short walk, right? They're willing to give up everything to say, you know what? Um, we'll set all that stuff aside so that we can. And they, in their own words, we have come to worship him. This was their reflexive reaction. You see the angels erupting in worship, declaring glory to God in the highest, the entire um, chorus of heaven singing out as this uh, message was declared over the shepherds. We see the shepherds then, they couldn't be contained. They experienced this incredible moment. And what an incredible thought just to think that Jesus showed up, the king of the universe showed up to shepherds, right? I mean, talk about lowest on the status, you know, scale. Um, who would think to show up in this kind of way, but yet the king of the universe showed up to demonstrate that he was a gift for all. And so, um, but their, their reaction, the shepherds, was to go near and, and far, worshiping, praising God, spreading this message concerning him. We see Simeon, who worked in the temple. He waited his entire life for the moment when the Messiah would come, the chosen king would arrive. And when he 
was told of this when he had the opportunity to see this child. He said to God, now I can depart the earth. This is what I've lived my entire life for. I have seen it, and now I can depart the earth. We see Anna, the, 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 um, the, the priest, saying never, she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And John the Baptist, he spoke of Jesus saying, one more powerful than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. You get the idea. Adoration ran rampant. It was the reflexive reaction to Jesus time and time again when folks would encounter the magnitude of this gift, of this person, of this king. It reduced them to just adoration, speechlessness. And, and here's what I want to say to us today. Does, does the thought of this king still do the same for us? When we really consider him, when we try to conceptualize him, when we come before him, when we step into even like a place like this, and it doesn't matter the place, but as we come before him, do we still have that reflexive reaction of just mere adoration? And what I would say is that if the king of the cosmos fits tidily into all of our neat theological boxes, if, if he doesn't stretch us beyond the capacities of our comprehension, if his pure holiness doesn't completely undo us, if the mere thought of his eternal nature does not stretch our imaginations beyond their human limits, if the vastness of his infinite glory does not perplex our finite mind, and if the weight of his glory does not threaten to shrink us down to nothingness, perhaps our king is too small. Brennan Manning says this, No thought can contain him. No word can express him. He transcends all human concepts, considerations, and expectations. He is the beyond in our midst. And though in our midst, still beyond anything we can intellectualize or imagine, Jesus Christ will always be a scandal to the murky, immodest theory-making of the intelligence because he cannot be comprehended by the rational, scientific, and finite mind. Anyone who has been brushed by the divine weight of his glory cannot but adore him. When the apostle John, who once laid his head on Jesus' breast in the upper room, encountered a mere glimpse of the king to be in Revelation. It says, the Bible says that he fell on his face, prostrate in adoration. Another scene from the heavenly realms of this child's future reign says that the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. And after the 24 elders who were seated on the thrones before God experienced this, they fell on their face and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is, who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Is there any other response that fits the king of all kings? Adoration is our only adequate response as we stand before him. So as the song implores, as we just sung, come, let us adore him. St. John of the Cross once said this. He, he, he wrote, reveal thy presence and may the vision of thy beauty be my death. Man, talk about true longing for the king. So my challenge is wherever you are today, wherever you're at in considering him, conceptualizing him, or as you pursue relationship with him, 
My challenge is, may adoration spring up inside of you. May you allow your guard to come down and your mind to be expanded as you consider his greatness, that you might be reduced to adoration in his presence. And so may, maybe for some of you who haven't thought much about it in a long time, and may God just stir something up in you as you consider who this child really was, the king of glory. And my hope is that adoration would move us beyond just adoration. It would produce in us an unwavering allegiance. The true king is worthy of our complete and undivided allegiance, yet our natural affinity is for autonomy. What do I mean by that? It means we like things our way, don't we? We really like things our way. We like control, which is why for so many of us, really all of us, we often resist what God wants to do in our lives. We resist the thought of allegiance because our ultimate allegiance is to ourselves. And this is what the serpent exploited within the heart of Adam. God clearly said, do not eat from any tree. You remember this, like this conversation in Genesis 1, you got it all. I mean, I've given you everything. We're walking with God in the cool of day. Everything is as it should be. They are, they, they, Adam and Eve have everything that they could possibly need, desire, want. I mean, it was the picture of perfection. And God says, do not eat from this one tree. And the serpent exploited that. And first in Eve, and then Adam followed suit. And the serpent whispered, did God really say that? And then continued on and said, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What happened there? Well, Adam and Eve, they weren't content to just be with God. They wanted to be gods themselves. And the same desire becomes our own undoing when we allow our desire for autonomy to be left unchecked we see that it ultimately becomes our undoing. There was, I think last year sometime, um, some, some article in the news or something that went out to all Lebanon parents about a Satanist club that was starting at Lebanon. And of course, like, you know, people are outraged, which, you know, I think is part of the point. I think that a lot of times, like, these things are started merely to get this giant reaction among uh, Christians, and that certainly happened. And I thought was, man, hey, maybe we could go over there and bless them, you know, and uh, that's besides the point. I kind of was looking into more um, what the um, kind of the tenets were of, of, of this group, and uh, if you really look into it, one of their core tenets is um, personal sovereignty, and uh, that was one of the values that they set, and I thought to myself, I mean, isn't this just the God of our day? I mean, personal sovereignty, this desire to just want to Basically, be our own gods, be gods ourselves, and it was really how, how it's always been. And I wonder to myself, and we, you know, we, we declare Jesus king, yet I wonder how many of us still function with this ultimate desire of personal sovereignty. Like, God, I want you to kind of take care of me, but I want to do it on my terms, in my way, and so we sort of resist allegiance to King Jesus, and and ultimately, at the end of the day, I mean, that makes us sort of functional agnostics or atheists. I mean, we want to, um, we, we, we like the idea of God, we believe in God, and we proclaim this. Yet, if we're not willing to come to the place where we say, God, I want you to ultimately take control of my life, um, we're, we're ultimately 
um, falling underneath that heading of our ultimate desire being ourselves, personal sovereignty. And I don't know about you, but that hasn't really worked out great for me. When I've tried to do it my way, when I've tried to rule my own life, I, I don't know about any of you guys, but that has not gone well for me overall. Yet it is our flesh, it is our desire to want to rule over our own lives. We fear that God doesn't really have our good in mind, and this is essentially what was being called into question in the garden, right? Like, God's withholding something from you. He, he doesn't want you to have this, that, or the other. Yet it became their own undoing. And we see this king, actually, in, um, in the Christmas story. Remember the king that was ruling at the time, Herod the Great? You can imagine he was not super excited to hear that there was this king that was coming, right? And so he's like, we... This town does not need two kings. Like, I, this town is not big enough for the both of us. And so he starts to just unravel. I mean, he is, he is jealous. He is, uh, you know, he feels threatened. He's disturbed, as the scripture says. So much so that he orders the death of every child around Jesus' age just to make sure that this king um, doesn't rise up. Now, the, the irony of all of that is... Um, Jesus hadn't, wasn't coming to steal any political throne. He was a king that was far above uh, Herod's rule, but Herod couldn't see that, right? And he, he, um, he reacted. And what we see in Herod is really, again, just another example of, you know, this great big personality with this great big palace, but he had an even bigger ego. He wielded great power in his day, yet no matter how great his power, what we see really based on his reaction and response is that his inner life was a mess. And we see it time and time again. And oftentimes we're not much different. We love control. We love autonomy. Yet, friends, I would say to you that autonomy is a mere illusion. Living in allegiance to our selfish desires, will either we will be controlled by the flesh. This is this is what happens when we choose allegiance to ourselves. Or living in allegiance to King Jesus, we will allow ourselves to be controlled by the Spirit. And so um, we have to come to the place where we're willing to lay down our own autonomy, knowing that this is how God brings about life. This is why true satisfaction comes only through surrender. When we give our allegiance to the King. And when we give our allegiance to the king, it gives way to the abundance of the kingdom. Again, God does not aim to withhold anything from you. He wants so much more for you. There's this old adage that all that glitters is not gold. I'm sure you've heard that adage, right? Basically saying that often things that look really, really good on the outside, the things that we pursue and chase after. And by the way, those aren't always material things, right? Those aren't always physical things. It, it could be things like sex or ambition or, I mean, fill in the blank. Imagine the things that we, um, we chase after that we try to find fulfillment in, right? But all that glitters is not gold. We often forget this. But it raises the question, well, what is then? Well, Jesus spoke of another kingdom, the one where he rules and reigns. And there is nothing in this kingdom, the kingdom of the earth, that could ever compare. And when we crown him as king, we begin to discover the things of true worth. And, and at one level, we, we can see the promise of eternity and all that he has for us there. But we can also start to see those things in the here and now. Philippians reminds us to remember who our true king is 
um, in the kingdom that we were made for when it says we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We're citizens of heaven. And so when we take hold and crown Jesus as king, we become citizens of a different kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. And friends, all that glitters is not gold. True gold, true satisfaction comes freely and fully through King Jesus and his kingdom. I told you guys a few weeks ago about um, my my four-year-old and how he got a hold of these Target books that were like the catalogs for the season, and he started calling them holiday lookbooks. And in them, he would just like, he'd get there and he'd just circle all the things that he wanted for Christmas. Uh, spoiler alert, the entire catalog was circled at the end of that. I had them all. It's like all the things. And I'm like, man, I got some things to teach this little dude about Christmas, you know. Like, I don't think there's any hope for him, you know. And he's certainly not getting uh, a fraction of these things. And uh, that's going to be disappointing. Um, I'll, just, I'll just blame Santa. But um, so I was like, you know, this, it's just funny to, to, to see that. And I was like, oh, you know, he'll, he's, just, he's just four years old, you know. What, no big deal. What was funny is I, I kind of gave him a hard time about that, and um, fast forward this past week, uh, he was in his preschool class, and his teacher told me all about this. He, they, they went around the class, and they asked, what's your favorite part of the holidays? And so all the kids were sharing, and, and the teacher was like, yeah, just about every kid said the obvious one that all of us would said as a kid, and that is the presents, right? They're so excited about the presents, and there's like presents, 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 presents. When it came Jude's turn... He goes, and I don't even, it's like this stuff that comes out of this kid, I, I, I have no idea, like, where it comes from. But he goes, he goes, I, I like, my favorite part is that it's Jesus' birthday. And, and that's funny because it's a, it's a, it's a multi-ethnic, multicultural, many different faith preschool that we go to. And here this dude is, he's like sharing the gospel. He's like, that's Jesus' birthday, that's the reason that I love it. And then they drew pictures, and his picture, like, was of him and Jesus holding hands. It was like walking along. I know. I was like, I was like, man, what a good kid. You know, he could be a stinker, but man, he's a good, a good kid. And uh, can't make this stuff up. But my thought is, well, what do we all just realize? What really glitters? What was really of value is King Jesus and all that comes from Him. And the life of greatest gain is one found in simply walking hand in hand with the one and only King. Paul, realizing this and realizing that any of his own efforts to get to God were ultimately futile, even his own religion couldn't get him there no matter how hard he tried and, and all of the other things he tried to do to find fulfillment, to find ultimate satisfaction fell short. And he had this to say, he's in Philippians 3, 7 through 8. He said, you know, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when, with when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. That's true gold. Last week, um, I told you guys how, um, well, a couple weeks ago when I was teaching, um, I just felt all week like this conviction of like, I think we need to to offer um, some kind of invitation. We don't necessarily do that every single week, although the invitation is always open. But I really felt like we needed to do a specific thing on the tail end. And honestly, I didn't even know exactly what that would look like until we got to that last part of the morning. And um, 
has just started offering people the opportunity just to, with their heads down, to raise their hand, uh, to respond in, in a various way. And I had the opportunity to pray over them. And the last um, response was, if you are wrestling with um, choosing to follow Jesus and being baptized, I, I, raise your hand. And uh, we had several people raise their hands. And uh, I caught one of the, the girls afterwards that I could tell she was super tearful and just um, having kind of this moment. And I was like, you know, do you want to talk? And um, so we sat down and we talked. And um, as she shared her story, it was just really obvious that God was at work. And she was like, it's, it's time for me to make this decision, and she's like, so when is the baptism day exactly, and we had to skip a week, because all of the kids stuff that was going on last week was a lot, and I was like, well, it's in a couple weeks, it's on December 17th, and she just looks at me, like, with this shocked look on her face, and I was like, is that okay, she's like, that's my birthday, and I was like, she was the first to respond, and then um, this, the, the, the week, during the week, I had the opportunity to meet uh, with, with Jada, and sit down and, and meet her, and she's going to be baptized here this hour, and as we're sharing, and she's sharing her story and how God is at work in her, and we're like, yeah, it's time. Let's do this. Um, she, I, I told her the date, and I was like, it's, it's December 17th. Is, would that work? She had to check her schedule with some different uh, things going on. And she looks at me, and she goes, that's my birthday. I mean, how, how cool is that to see how God's working? And I got to baptize my cousin today, which was cool. David got to baptize um, two of his kids today, and so... God is at work, and I just want to, um, as we take some time, and, and Han's going to come up and play here a little bit, uh, just to, to kind of prepare us for uh, the moment here. I want to offer an invitation, if you today, and, and if it's your birthday, you absolutely, I mean, at this point, <laughs> it's a no-brainer, right? Um, but maybe you're thinking, you know, it, it is time, and for whatever reason, maybe uh, you've held back, and you know, it, it's interesting, because a lot of people, as I'm having conversations with them, their first reaction is just to feel unworthy, like they, they don't deserve it based on their past or based on their story or based on just essentially not being perfect right now, not being exactly where they want to be at. And so they feel like I got to get things sorted out in my spiritual life before I could ever make that decision. And it's quite the contrary. It's a gift. You can't earn a gift. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have all the answers, all the questions. You can still have more questions, and that's okay. You simply have to be willing to take hold of what God has offered you in Christ Jesus. And so maybe, maybe it's your day today, too. And I'm going to be um, in the back here in the coffee area, and there's some T-shirts that are out there on uh, the welcome desk. You can grab a T-shirt. You can come and meet us around back. We're doing at least one baptism, but if you're ready today, it could be your day too um, as you make uh, Jesus king of your life. He's already king over the entire universe. Nothing's going to change that. Um, every knee will bow to King Jesus, but maybe it's time for you to, to make him king, to become a citizen of his kingdom now and forever. So the question is, what are you waiting for? For those of you that have already made that decision, I encourage you as we take some time for communion now, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Remember that this baby was indeed born to die on our behalf. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so take a moment and maybe it's a time for you just to bow your life in allegiance to him again. Because we get out of whack. We get out of sync. We take back the reins of control in our life. And so maybe it's an opportunity for you just to surrender to him again and say, God, 
I just want you to do your thing in my life. I, I don't, I don't want to do it my way anymore. Maybe it's time to just take hold of, in a greater way, uh, the abundance of his kingdom in one way or another. So just take a moment here for yourself. We're going to set up for baptism and, and celebrate with Jada and, and, the, and her family that's here to celebrate with her. And then we're going to worship a little bit more. So let me pray for us. God, thank you for today and just for your goodness. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. That's a gift that we could never possibly earn. I thank you that it is a free gift. And God, I just pray that 